Thursday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum out in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And we are getting right down to it here. Uh, Mission Control is, uh, you know, they just went around the horn, the, the last two guys there, uh, talking, the final one being uh, uh, being Capcom, uh, as we as we discussed in the minute 33, the, uh, the whole... The whole shebang was yesterday, but they, the last, <laughs> the last fellow to make sure, you know, they make sure they could talk to the astronauts was Capcom, and uh, so uh, the job of Gene Cranston is to push a button on his screen and tell Launch Control uh, that that they're re- they're ready in Houston, so they can you know keep going with the countdown. And uh, we go back to the uh, Launch Control Center at uh, at the time it was Cape Kennedy. Now it's back to Cape Canaveral. Which is kind of weird because neither of them, <laughs> neither of those apply to the place <laughs> they're at. They're actually on Merritt Island. Um, a beautiful. Have, have you be, have you been in uh, the the uh, Launch Control Center, Chris? I don't know if you've ever seen it down there. At the, um, the no, I've been to. Uh, I've been on the tour where they take you into the launch. You know the the Apollo era one. Um, yeah. That they have in the visitor center in the Saturn V building. I've been into that, but no, I've never been into the actual, you know, current day working one. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a big it's a, just a big empty room. But I, I mean, if you've been to the uh, if you've been to the, uh, the the Saturn V Center, they've got that great simulation of the Launch Control Center where you yeah, it's pretty uh, cool. I think Gary Sinise or was it Gary Sinise and Jim Lovell are in it? Um, yeah, I think they, Jim Lovell's actually in it. And he tells you about you know flying on Apollo Eight, I think. Yeah, and then he yeah, says, so and there was Apollo Thirteen, but that was another story or something <laughs> like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. He was he was perfect. I mean, if you're gonna pick a narrator, that's the guy. Uh, but he yeah he came he came out uh, great in that in that scene and he, and explained things very well. Uh, I thought it's a it's a very good simulation. Uh, I do like the uh, the windows rattling and everything shaking and just the idea of how many people, uh, you know, watching their watching their screens and stuff while right behind them is one of the greatest sights in the world. <laughs> so, well, of course. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, they they do get a get a reprieve. They don't get to see the initial part of the launch. But uh, one of the uh, one of the rules for all American uh, space missions is that launch control uh, takes care of the rocket until it's cleared the top of its uh, gantry, its tower. So when you hear the callouts to tower cleared, that's the cue for Houston to pick up the uh, uh, the, the control of the spacecraft. Um, I don't, actually, I don't think they need a cue. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of the uh, the legal the legal limit of where where they it's launched in yeah <laughs> yeah I you so know it took buddy. me a long time to figure out for whatever reason um, it took me a long time to figure out there were two different control centers um, I didn't always clearly understand that until going to Kennedy and going to the Saturn V complex and I'm like oh there was a whole other facility and then then it started to all make sense you know and then when you see the movie it kind of you know, it kind of makes sense uh, a little bit more once you see the film, and you're like, okay, so there, yeah, there were two centers, just just like air traffic control, where you hand somebody off from a center to the tower or approach. Right. Yeah, you do that that last little bit. So this is very much in the tradition of aviation. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny when you watch now when you watch um, uh, commercial space operations like SpaceX, they they do the whole. They don't need to be on site. I mean, they have a they have a you know basically a, a service crew 
on site, but all the operations of it are handled, gosh, on the other side of the continent, uh, Hawthorne, California, in the case of SpaceX. So, or, you know, down the, down the block at ULA, they don't, they don't really have to stay at the pad. They're, they're kind of, uh, you know, off on, on Route 1. Uh, so yeah, and uh, and to yeah, test this theory out, we're at, to test this theory out today, we're doing. Uh, you're at a remote location just so we can uh, actually get a good vibe of how how far apart these launch centers would be, right? That's what yeah, you're doing. we're we're doing okay. I'm in a <laughs> I'm in kind of an a- aviation history place uh, here at Wichita, the home of uh, oh, Cessna, cool. Beechcraft, all the other uh, all the other nice little planes that fly through the air. Uh, it's oh a, yeah, it's a it's a great place to be. Uh, I'm in the, the state. Uh, Home of uh, is it August Chanute, um, the fellow that loaned his uh, anemometers to uh, the Wright brothers so they can conduct their uh, experiments in uh, at Kitty Hawk. Yeah, so Octave Chanute. Octave Chanute. Uh, I'm yeah, sorry, I knew it was yeah. I knew it was an unusual first name. I was like, no, that's not yeah. right. But <laughs> not many people named Octave today. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that really hasn't carried on. Maybe maybe it'll make a comeback someday. But, uh, <laughs> we uh, we watch this and they do. Uh, uh, they, they do kind of a thing where they cut to a different voice, and uh, we're listening to the uh, public affairs announcer uh, in, announcing to the crowd there that it's uh, 60 seconds to launch. One of the things that bothers me, I wish, you know, and he was alive at the time, so they could have hired him. I wish they had uh, gotten a hold of, uh, of the famous, legendary NASA PAO Jack King, who did the uh, call-outs for, uh, he, he was the public voice of NASA for, Gemini and Apollo, and his, uh, he was a, a Boston-born fellow who uh, had a beautiful uh, nasal uh, touch to things, and you just, you got the impression that he, he was running the show and he was telling you what he was doing. He was like a bus driver telling you what was, what was coming up next. Here's the next stop. <laughs> and uh, I, I grew up with the voice of Jack King, and, uh, you know, I associate that, that sound, his voice, with, uh, with lunar av- exploration. Much in the way, much in the way nowadays, I, I, my favorite NASA, uh, I mean, I, they're they're all great, but I, I particularly enjoy Rob Navius. If you ever hear uh, Rob Navius call a uh, uh, the shuttle flights, he always he had a flair for the dramatic, or he has a flair for the dramatic, and his scripts for for uh, talking about different things going on during a, a shuttle mission uh, were excellent. Yeah, yeah. I always enjoyed watching his coverage. That was always pretty cool. Yeah, he uh, he'd talk about uh, uh, it's some of the phrases that he, he used to use when uh, uh, when they'd start doing the the turn, the gravity turn. And he'd always say, uh, "Shuttle is wings down," uh, or no, he shuttle is head down, wings level uh, toward its eight and a half minute uh, ride to space and <laughs> ride to orbit, and it just. He he did know how to sell <laughs> sell sell something that didn't need to be sold. Um, but everybody's <laughs> out there in the uh, in the bleachers except for one guy in a in a gold uh, Corvette. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think Mr. Mattingly <laughs> would actually be <laughs> standing, uh, you know, as close as he could get to the Saturn V because that is absolutely not as close as you can get to the Saturn V. You. <laughs> <laughs> Probably be at least deaf and possibly uh, with shattered ribs from from, from I, that uh, distance. I believe uh, I believe Ken was in mission control. Yeah, uh, that uh, that day. So um, I don't. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I talked to Ken about it when we interviewed him, and that's what he had said was that uh, uh, it was 
artistic license, but he was in Mission Control that time. Yeah, and uh, the other the other part about it is where he's he's looking at his watch and as though you know, well, it's gonna it and it it's true that they ha- they had a window there that that it was gonna launch at thirteen thirteen. But I think he would have the radio on in his car, and it would have been. Bla- I mean, if he were if he were anywhere near the place, he would have had the radio on. Um, as I remember back in the back in the Apollo days when I was watching it, there was uh, a radio on in every car, and it was almost like being at uh, you know like a NASCAR match. You'd hear the same the same voice coming through all the different radios. Uh, he he would have had the radio cranked up and hearing what was going on at uh, at uh, launch control. Well, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's a very beautiful shot. It's cool, but at the same token, yeah, it was definitely done for artistic license. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, oh well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll give him that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I told you before when I talked to Ken. Ken was very uh, adamant that he liked the second half of the movie better because he becomes the hero in the second half of the movie. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. Um, I do love, and the Horner score comes up here. You can hear that uh, that, that beautiful uh, theme with the with the choir, and uh, people just kind of it, it. It does have that kind of a churchy tone. Everybody's very serious. Everybody's uh, you know very expectant on things, and I think that that sells it quite well. Um, Horner will later use uh, motifs out of this when um, when he writes the. Uh, the, the soundtrack to Titanic, as as Titanic's getting underway, they, he uses pretty much the same percussion and those same choral hits. Uh, although in this one, it's a, a real a real chorus in a Titanic. He used synthesizer, which I always I always felt like, why didn't you get some voices for for that show? But we're not we're not <laughs> doing the Titanic minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know the thing about Mission Control, it, we we see uh, we see Gene Kranz there clicking his pen frantically because. Mission Control. Once they've done all the, once they've done, gone around the horn and made sure the go no goes are all okay, they've got nothing to do until the flight starts. I mean, they just kind of look at their screens. They can see how the how the machine is responding, but other than that, there's there's nothing to do. Um, the retro people have recovery uh, to worry about. So if there was an abort mode, they would take over, but only after uh, what would be. Uh, considered mode one alpha. well we'll, t- we'll talk about the aborts uh, next week but uh mode one alpha the first stage if they were still on the pad uh recovery wouldn't take place uh, or the recovery portion of retro uh wouldn't handle things until after the uh, uh the the launch escape s- system had cleared uh, the command modules tower but that would have happened about a tenth of a second after they pushed the abort button wow um <laughs> So I got a story about the pen. I don't know if I've told the story oh, okay. or not. No, go ahead. Um, the uh, the guys, I think it was Milt Wendler and uh, Bill Reeves who worked on, um, I think Milt Wendler was the the one who really worked with, uh, with Ed Harris on training up to portray Gene. And uh, one of the things that they did was, you know, they talked about his mannerisms and things like that. Well... When they shot this scene, Gene had a chance to see it, and Gene said, uh, you know, yeah, it looks good, but what's up with me clicking the pen all the time? Uh, I don't remember doing that, and if it, I can't remember if it was Milt or Bill Rees, but they called him out and said, you click that pen all the time in Mission Control, and that was one of the things that they told Ed Harris, make sure you click <laughs> your pen a whole bunch, because, you know, that was sort of Gene's uh, 
uh, it's tick, thing if to you do. will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, they got the, they, the, it's good that they got that in there. But yeah, it just it just does show. I mean, I think they they portrayed Gene absolutely on on target here. With he never really showed a lot of emotion except for. Um, uh, the only ones you ever saw in here was either, you know, slightly good job, but if he was disappointed in the way things were turning out, he let that emotion go. But I don't think he showed his his fears or his, uh, you know, any kind of uh, reluctances. I think he he was very much the uh, the commander, the quarterback, the uh, or even the head coach of uh, of this operation. And uh, yeah. I think that's he he's you know uh, him and 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 uh, Glenn Lenny and all the all the other all the other uh, mission controllers. I think they were really they had I mean they had the right stuff if, to use a phrase, but they they seem to be just to be the right guys in the right the right position. They true they really are yeah absolutely. Um, I do like the the nice scene um, using what they call the Kuleshov effect, where you put two pieces to you put two separate uh, pictures together, and those two pictures you let the audience form their own impressions of what that means. Um, we see. Jim Lovell uh, flexing his gloves and then staring at the abort handle, and the audience is left to understand that he he's the one he's the one the final say in whether to pull that handle and blow up a billion dollar yeah. air a b- billion dollar spacecraft and get them out of there and uh, you know what what kind of a thing that sits on his shoulders. I always like the story of uh, Apollo Eight, you know, which was the first manned flight of the Saturn V, and you know, they they were talking about how how violent, you know, the the first uh, I shouldn't say violent, but uh, the the you know how much of a shock that thing really is to, to kick in the pants. And they said the entire time up, Frank Borman had his hand not on the abort handle like it's supposed to, but just kind of over it, you know, around yeah. it. And they said uh, he was afraid that. During all the shaking, he would accidentally pull the abort handle accidentally, and uh, he said he'd rather die than make a false abort. And I always no. just, you know, and I asked him that question in person, and he said absolutely. He said it was, uh, um, you know, he said it, it was, yeah, you know, there's no way I would have pulled that accidentally. I made sure I wasn't going to do that. Um, but uh, I, I couldn't imagine what a kick that that rocket must be to ride. <laughs> I oh, mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you just, know. It, it's a building going up in the air <laughs> Yeah, a 33 story yeah. building going up in the air. Um, there's a great documentary, uh, called, uh, when we left earth yes. and, uh, Bill Anders, uh, makes a good comment in there where he says that, uh, they, he thought they'd bought it during liftoff. He thought the rocket had exploded. Uh, <laughs> it was just that much power a seven and a half million pounds of thrust. I mean, that's, wow. uh, it has an it has enough power to put a 737 in lunar orbit. Um, wow! So yeah, <laughs> think yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's astonishing. I mean the and the the other thing is that it it's kind of I mean every anyone that's flown an aircraft you have a kind of a feel for how the aircraft is. It has a kind of a personality to it. And several of the the shuttle pilots I've talked to have have a similar feeling about about their ships when they get on. They said when they when they first been introduced to a, a shuttle or things, it's the the fuel was drained, it was sitting in uh you know, it was just idling there waiting for, you know, people were working on it and stuff like that. And it felt very much like getting in a really big filing cabinet, you know, when you climbed in there was just equipment and uh you know, you so you found your seats and stuff. But on launch day when it's when it's fueled up and it has these 
you know, super cold uh, liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen, and there's all this expansion and, and compression going on. They, they said that the, uh, the shuttle actually felt like it was breathing. You'd hear these creakings, and it would just kind of lean. And as they were loading things in, you could feel the, you could feel the ship rocking a bit as, as things were being loaded onto it and, and uh, systems were being powered up. And I, that, that's on a, on a ship that was only one-third the height of a, an Apollo Saturn V. So you think about those fellows perched atop 363 feet of, uh, of fuel. Jeez. <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, that, that must have been quite a, I mean, it must have been like getting on the back of a rhinoceros. It's just <laughs> <laughs> a big 363-foot-tall rhinoceros. <laughs> oh, I couldn't um, imagine. I mean, the, you know, when you go to the Air and Space Museum, if you've never been to the, any of the 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 places that have a full Saturn V, go to the Air and Space Museum in D.C. and just go look at one of those F-1 engines, I mean, that they have on display in the Air and Space, and you're like, my God. I mean, it, it's, you know, I didn't realize how many of them are in this rocket. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, yeah. it's unreal. And, and the, the, the amount of fuel that it has to push through, it has, an, you know, an engine built into it, a ro- another rocket engine, just to just to pump the fuel into the place where it was it would finally be combusted. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's I, you know, and this is the last actually the last few. Se- I mean, I the other thing I've, I've heard from different astronauts as they look at the at the at the ship is that it's uh, y- you know these are the last few moments of this ship as a single entity. It's all gonna it's it's designed to come apart at the seams. I mean, it's all gonna be left behind and, and dropped in the ocean. So at the same time they're lifting off and excited to be getting on their mission, they're about to say say goodbye to a ship that. Um, you know they've been waiting to get on for years so it's all just it, it must be the, the emotion level must be incredible yeah yeah absolutely i mean up until this point your mission has been known by this rocket this is what you've been out to visit in the vab or out on the crawler on the pad i mean and uh, the scope of that is going to change pretty dramatically here and you know in just minutes <laughs> so yeah I, I never thought of it that way that's pretty interesting yeah, it's um, it, we're, we're in the last few seconds here, we see the uh, uh, they're following the, the giant tanks where uh, f- uh, there's uh, d- different. It's not only the fuels going in, but the uh, the spillway and where the where the water the uh, the sound suppression system is coming out. And the scale of this, uh, I know we keep saying about this, you have to go and see. But really, if you do get a chance to get it to the Kennedy Space Center, the the scale is hard to wrap your head around. I mean, the only thing I've the only thing I've seen recently that you know comes close to an idea of wow these are big is um, currently I'm I'm going through uh, central Kansas and uh, as anyone who's been out here lately uh, has seen there are these gigantic windmills and the windmills you know you see them on the horizon and as you get closer they don't get any they don't get any closer they don't get any bigger and, until you suddenly get really up close to them you suddenly realize my gosh these are <laughs> these are climbing into the sky. And just the scale of all these things, there are there are hold down boat bolts, and they have them in the uh, in the museum at the at the Kennedy Space Center. The, the bolts that are holding uh, the ship down are the size of a dining room table. I mean, they're just they're these it's just enormous things. And these are just one little part to get you know to get an idea of the scope. I mean, your your head starts going to well, how big a wrench do you need to turn a bolt like that? Uh, but the uh, you know just the the ultimate the, the idea that you could put all this together. Uh, it's still um, hard to wrap your head around. You know, in my uh, in my my living room, uh, in the corner, I have a display case with a 172nd scale Saturn V rocket, 
and so it, and it's about it's about five six feet tall and then on one of our shell on a shelf not far from it I have a 170 second scale model of a jet and I always tell people those are the same scale and the the uh, the the look you get on their faces when they all start realizing you know that that's they know how big that jet is and in person and now you're looking at something that just dwarfs it you know and uh, it, it's it's you know, it's hard. It's hard to imagine until you're there and you see it. Even, even go if you haven't been to one of those the, the centers that have a Saturn V. I really urge you to go because um, it won't be time wasted. I mean, you will always remember seeing these things. They're amazing. Um, but I got to ask you, Jim, since you're out that way, are you going to the Cosmosphere? Uh, no, I've been to the Cosmosphere. I, I'm trying to figure out if I can um, uh, zing my way back there just to stop by where the. Uh, uh, the current uh, the current location of the Apollo 13 command command module is it is a wonderful place. I, you've, have you been to the Cosmosphere, Chris? I have. I, I I I'll be honest with you. We went in there and I'm like, you know, all I want to see is Liberty Bell and and then see uh, the uh, Odyssey and because they have Gus Grissom's you know uh, Mercury capsule there uh, and yeah. they have Odysseys and I'm like, oh, you know, that's what the, that's what they'll have because you know I, I I don't know how big the place is. Um, easily spent a full day there. I mean, the place is amazing. Um, oh. the, it, it just it tells the entire story of our space program, and they do it so uh, so well. So, great place if you ever get a chance to go. Uh, leave yourself, you know, you know, at the very least a half a day. You're going to need it just to walk yeah, through there. Yeah, you'd have to do that at a run just yeah, to get through a half yeah, a day. It, but it, there's it, a so lot. Much, you get a lot. And, and they are one of the premier. Uh, uh, restorers and uh, and rebuilders of uh, of these ancient spaceships. I mean, they re- they they put uh, both Liberty Bell Seven uh, and Odyssey back together again after they've been uh, un- well. In the case of uh, Apollo Thirteen, they've been unceremoniously dismantled and kind of you know their inside the insides were were left apart and uh, they got it all back together. And Liberty Bell, of course, uh, be- Liberty Bell Seven being taken up from the bottom of the Atlantic. And uh, carefully restored, um, it is a, it's an impressive sight to see. It's something that I thought, you know, as a kid, I never thought I'd, I'd see that again. It's like, oh, it's at the bottom of the ocean. But the idea of bringing it, 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 it to me, that's my Titanic. That's, um, yeah, you know, yeah. quite a, quite a thing to see. Uh, even and just the, uh, the, the, po- the, the, the roll of dimes that they, you know, mercury dimes that Gus Grissom had had <laughs> uh, stowed away. Yeah, they even got those back. So and and also you know we can't forget Gemini Ten is in there so uh, that's a uh, yeah know, an amazing uh, it, uh, and they're ama- currently amazing. restoring uh, this is the place that's currently restoring some of the Mission Control pick consoles right uh, for uh, you know for Houston for the new uh, you know for, I shouldn't say new but for the restored and preserved uh, Mission Control yeah they are I mean they are the masters at uh, at reconstructions and restorations uh, they have a beautiful uh, Apollo Soyuz. Uh, uh, con- uh, construction there that you would never know it was not the real thing. It was uh, it's every bit as good as the one that's on the uh, on the mall at uh, at the National Air and Space Museum. Yeah, very cool, very cool place. Um, yeah, well, I will, so, I will, I will. Sort of a little plug for to, the Cosmosphere this yeah. morning. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're great, and, and you know, even they even have aviation stuff. I mean, they've got an SR seventy one or is um, what's the? I think it's an A twelve, isn't it? Uh, maybe. Uh, I think they I, have an SR seventy one. Okay, yeah, and um, I'd have to look it up, but I know that I think they have a T thirty eight as well. 
Yeah, yeah, they have it. They have it pointed directly at the front door. So when you walk in, there's a there's an SR seventy one looking at you next to the ticket counter. Very impressive, and uh, and a Titan uh, a Titan missile, a Titan two missile, which is uh, a beautiful beautiful display there. Um, uh, yeah, you c- I easily get easily get lost for for days on end there. And it all started by a uh, if I remember the story correctly, it was started by a librarian who just wrote away to NASA saying, you know, could you send us some pieces that we could display in our lobby and they'd send him they they they, they, they sent her some uh uh you know little bits of nasa equipment and it became the the preeminent non non smithsonian uh uh site to go visit uh, space equipment and uh, the smithsonian trusts them utterly with their uh, uh with their historic treasures to uh, to rebuild restore and uh, and refurbish awesome place Wow. Well, uh, I think that's about all we can talk about here before lunch. We're uh, launch, not lunch. <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> or both. <laughs> or both. Yeah, it depends on what time of day you're listening to us. Um, but is, as you uh, as you uh, check in tomorrow, we will actually go through the uh, the countdown, which is uh, is very exciting here. So uh, we'll save that for for Friday. But uh, if you'd like to uh, follow us uh, more closely every day, we're always available. Online at Apollo13minute.com, Apollo13minute.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes or uh, Google Play, and you can get us delivered hot and fresh to you every morning on your your device or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can reach out to us online uh, and talk back at Twitter at Apollo13minute or on Facebook at the Apollo13minute Mission Control. But uh, we'll continue with this. By the way, if you are in the Denver area on uh, Saturday, and you're listening to this before Saturday, August 18th, 2018, uh, please uh, come and see me. I'll be at the uh, uh, Movies by Minutes uh, Denver uh, convention at the Bug Theater in uh, Denver, Colorado, where you get to rub elbows with a bunch of podcasters and talk about the podcast that you like or what we could do better. Uh, so uh, try to uh, check that out on Saturday at, uh, in Denver, Colorado at the Bug Theater. Um, if not, uh, you can you know please reach out to us online. But uh, come back here tomorrow, uh, tomorrow Friday as we go through the launch. It looks like we're coming up on uh, loss of signal in about 30 seconds. So we'll see you here tomorrow on the Apollo 13 minute.